Welcome to this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. As always, thanks to Recess Duty for playing us in with our theme song. Well, we've got a live show for you today. I've got two guests in the uh, studio here with me, Zach Henry, the man behind St. Elias Brewing, and Tom Donnan of Timberline Farms. So uh, thanks for coming, guys. I appreciate it. And always, we're, we do these live shows because this is the membership drive week. So please call 907-513-1996 and make your donation to KDLL because your donations are what keep this station running. Uh, okay, here we are, guys. So how are you guys doing today? Zach? Doing good. So, Tom? Pretty good. good. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. So uh, first things first, how's everything at... Uh, How's everything? How's everything at uh, the uh, brewery there, bud? Oh, it's going well. Yeah, just uh, kind of settling into uh, winter approaching here, and so things are slowing down a bit. But good uh, breathing room. Okay, Frank, you guys uh, closing things down for the uh, the winter now? Well, we are, <clears throat> and things are wrapping up pretty progressively this year. It's getting a little colder quicker than normal, and uh, that's different but uh we've had our hops harvest already and we did a pretty good harvest on those this year we're looking forward to making a nice brew out of that oh cool we'll talk about that in just a minute so um i had a couple of uh newsworthy things i want to mention at the to everybody before we get diving into conversation um some things that have happened since the last uh show uh alpenglow brewery in anchorage has uh shut down I haven't been able to get any particular details about that, but apparently they're, uh, they've closed their doors. Uh, today happens to be Deal with the Devil Day at Anchorage Brewing Company. I don't know if any of you are standing in line outside uh, the brewery doors waiting for them to open at noon so you can throw your money at Mr. Fletcher and walk away with a couple of his bottles. But uh, I don't know. Zach, you think you'll ever see the day when people are lined up outside of St. Elias to buy something that you've brewed in the winter in the snow? Uh, no, probably not likely. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this, is, uh, this is the day for those of you that can't live without the uh, deal with the devil. And then finally, I want to mention that on November 4th, also up in Anchorage, the Alaska Crafted, a beer, cider, and mead festival will be happening at 3 p.m. at Willowall Social downtown. So if uh, you're going to be in Anchorage uh, the first weekend in November, that's a pretty nice event. I've been to ones in the past, and uh, it's run by the Brewers Guild of Alaska to promote uh, Alaskan brews. So, all right, that's news out of the way. So let's talk hops. So, Frank, how in the world did you end up trying to grow hops in Alaska? That's not exactly uh, it's not exactly a very common endeavor. Well, indeed, it's not. Um, first, I'm a fan of beer. Um, second, I was curious just to see if it would work. And in our high tunnel greenhouses, it works really well. They actually will take over if you let them. And we have 24 varieties right now. Uh, most of it goes to Zach and St. Elias to make a beer. Uh, typically, it's named after the farm, Timberline Ale, and different variations. 
And we're looking forward to doing that again this year. So tell us about the process. I mean, I, I, I don't know how familiar all of our listeners are with just what it entails to grow hops and to harvest hops. What, what sort of a plant are they and what part of it do you harvest? And just describe the process to, to people. Well, a hop comes as a rhizome, which is basically a rootstock. Um, you can plant that in a sandy kind of um, neutral soil. It, it does really well. Uh, it likes nitrogen. They are related to hemp in a distant fashion. Um, they're a vine, and they have abrasive kind of sandpaper-like texture on the vines and the leaves. And they will climb up just about anything, and then when they reach the top, they will billow over and actually come down and start taking over other areas of plants and rows of stuff. Um, We started off originally with 16 varieties of Cascade hops, which is a pretty common variety. Um, They did really well, but we decided to change it up and get different varieties in to maybe go with different uh, alpha acids and such for different flavors and textures of beer um, for different palates and such. Um, One thing about the hops are they can be cloned. Uh, You can spread them out prolifically. They will grow on a southern exposure in this zone. If you put them up next to a building, however, in the wintertime, you would have to kind of cover them with a mulch or a, a hay or straw to protect them through the winter. Uh, I've heard of people having good results with that. And pretty much it's mostly a hobby, but it's kind of just really cool. And people that come in and see them have no idea how big they get and how monstrous they really are. I seem to remember at one point, Zach, you tried planting some on the side of St. Elias at the building there. Did uh, they ever go anywhere or do anything? <clears throat> yeah, they they never they didn't produce very well, but um, they 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 grew all right, and they grew up kind of the side of the building. You got to kind of train them up like a a line or a wire or something like that, and they kind of wrap around. And it was more just for looks, um, but yeah, as far as harvest, uh, there wasn't really enough to. I mean, I guess the hoop house is the way to go if you're going to do it, if you want to harvest. So what uh, what size harvest did you get this year? I don't know if this year is a good year to judge by, given what a crummy summer we had. But, uh, what, uh, you know, how much did you have planted? You said you had 24 varieties. About how many plants and how, many, how much hops did you get out of it? Well, overall, we have about 36 plants. Um, we have generally two varieties of every plant variety besides the Cascade, which I have 16 of. Overall yield this year was probably 65 pounds wet, and when you dry that out and vacuum pack it and stuff, we're probably looking at around 20 pounds of dried hop, which I believe is enough for a fairly good batch of beer. Um, that's been pretty much our target in the past. Uh, we are trying to increase the yield, of course, and go for more, a little bit more bitterness, a little more IPA flavor. Um, we'll see how that goes in the future. We also will start segregating the varieties out and maybe start... Um, offering some of those rhizomes available for purchase or sell to individuals if somebody's interested in trying this herself. So basically your entire production this year will make one batch of beer, right? Yeah, probably eight to ten barrel batch, Zach. That sound about right? Yep. Definitely a labor of love. Yeah, I was going to say. It's just the novelty (laughs) of growing Right. You know, hops in Alaska yeah. is pretty cool. Well, it's right up there with uh, some of our H and H efforts that were definitely uh, definitely not money makers. So, uh, but anyway, so uh, so you said you have different varieties of Cascades, and what other varieties did you grow this year? <clears throat> well, we have Brewers Gold, we have Texoma, we have uh, 
Kent Goulding. I have Chinook. I have Nugget. I have Magnum. I have uh, a Aromatic Hop. Um, gosh, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head, but I have them written down at the house, and they all are divided out and segregated so we can identify them plant to plant. Wow, that's quite a quite a load. So how would you, uh, w- you know, Zach, you've spent a lot more time looking at hops than I have. What? How would you say that they compare to, like, the commercial ones that you're able to get? Well, I think they're um, they're really good. I mean, for one difference is they're, we'll be using whole hops in the in the kettle. Um, normally, most brewers buy pelletized hops, so the hops have been dried and then ground up and then packed into tiny little little uh, looks like almost like rabbit food or something. Um, you throw those into your kettle and they kind of dissolve into the wort. But this is a little different. Um, so we'll be throwing the whole flour in. Um, and with that, I think you get a little, I don't know, a little, a little different character, maybe, uh, gosh, it's, it's hard because the, the way the hops grow, they just kind of intermingle. And so you can't really tell, I mean, when we start, start harvesting them, like you can't tell where like cascade ends and Chinook starts. And so it's like at the end, we just put them all together and kind of do a, throw them all together and make a beer so it's we don't necessarily know exactly how many pounds of each you know specific hop that we have but have you considered doing a wet hop ale not going to the trouble to dry them and just use them about it yeah um yeah frank frank was actually kind of pushing for that (laughs) i i and i don't know if i'm maybe i just haven't had the right one but i've never really been impressed with wet hop beers i feel like they're always it almost seems like a waste of hops like but I don't know if you had any that you thought were pretty. Oh, I can remember amazing. that. Uh, what is it? Deschutes Hop Henge. I thought uh, that one was a pretty decent one, though. I'm not sure if that's a true wet hop. I'd have yeah. to go back and check my notes. Um, but uh, yeah. it's just such a subtle flavor, and then you don't really get the bitterness, you know, because they haven't been properly dried. But I'm definitely open to it. It'd be nice if we had about four times the amount, though, to. So we could add them well, in other places. There you go, Frank. Get on that. Make a, make a, make four times as much with a snap of your fingers. Yeah, we're working on that. <clears throat> so what else? I heard uh, rumors that you guys are you're playing around with some barley too, Frank. I planted some two row barley this year just to see how it would do, and we planted it outside um, this summer. Of course, being what it was, I don't know that the results were as uh, good as I was expecting. Um, however. We may be going to try to take that this year and incorporate it into our seasonal brew that we're going to make. Well, I remember that there was a, I actually wrote about it in my book, there was a, back in the 80s or late 70s, they had the idea they were going to grow a lot of barley up in uh, Delta Junction and they're going to brew beer with it. And uh, uh, let's just say things didn't work out. So between the type of barley they grew and the weather they got and the locusts that ate it and the bison that walked all over it. I don't think they ever got much of a, of a crop out there, but, um, of course that was then, uh, so you're growing, uh, you you said you're growing two row. How much have you got planted? Uh, we've got approximately 3000 feet planted. Um, you know, it's, uh, like I said, this year, the weather was just not, is what we were looking for. I don't think anybody's very happy with the summer we had this year, but um, hopefully we're going to try it again next year and see if we can increase the yield. I think we'd be looking at 500 pounds if we decided to harvest it 
right now and bring it down. And then, of course, there's the malting process we have to figure out. And nobody up here is really into doing that yet. And that could play back into back whenever you're talking about the Delta Junction thing. Uh, the interest maybe wasn't there like they thought then. I'd be curious if those folks out there could revisit that at this point and perhaps let's uh, get together on it and see if we can get some kind of a conglomerative or a group in the state that would back this. A few years ago, I talked to the the gentleman behind, uh, what is it they called, Alaska Grains, um, where they do, they are actually growing barley and wheat and stuff and making flowers up there. And it is kind of a bit of a chicken and the egg issue because nobody wants to grow brewing barley because there's nowhere to malt it, and nobody wants to set up a maltings because nobody's growing brewing barley. So it's sort of, I, I think once somehow we get something going, there could, like you say, there could be a real, uh, could be a real market for that. I'm sure most of the brewers up here would like to use. I mean, you can speak to that, Zach, but I think most of them would be interested in using at least some Alaska produced barley if there was any. Well, we have some ideas we're working on for potentially malting this stuff. Uh, one would be a, a concrete containment with in-floor heat in it that we'd be able to control the heat and perhaps flood it with the moisture to get it to sprout and do the malting process and then drain that liquid off and perhaps go back with the heat and dry it. Um, <clears throat> once again, this is going to be a trial and error thing, kind of an R&D thing, so we're just going to have to play with it and see if we can make it work. Yeah, I know there. I mean, there's several states where they do have nice little mini maltings. Uh, Maine, I know, has got a couple of those. And so, if we can, we can. What we need is somebody to come in and give you a grant. I think give you, you know, here's uh, here's five hundred thousand dollars. Set up a mini maltings. So, if anybody out there is listening, that's got half a million dollars that they want to blow on uh, on getting uh, malting going in Alaska. That's uh, Frank Donnan at uh, Timberline Farms. Get in touch with him, and uh, you'll we'll we'll name the maltings after you. So there you go. Sounds awesome. <laughs> if you're listening to us, please keep in mind that uh, we can use some donations here at KDLL nine zero seven five one three one nine nine six or on our website kdll.org. And have we got somebody who's? Uh... Yes, we do, Bill. We want to thank. Uh, Tom and Susan Segerman for calling in, and we want to thank Judy Shields also for calling in. Uh, we appreciate all those calls again, and again, 513-1996 is the number. KDLL.org is the website. And, Bill, we had a question come in on Facebook, if I could relay that. Go for it. This one is for Frank. Um, uh, Joe on Facebook wants to know, how long does it take to get those uh, those hops plants established they're as I understand it they're kind of persnickety and take a while to get established is that right how long does it take to kind of get something going where you can predictably get a little bit of a yield well the high tunnel greenhouses are a game changer for most all agriculture uh, plants in this state and what we've found out from that is that speeds the process up we've actually bought rhizomes and planted them the first year and actually got a pretty substantial harvest in the first year which is not typical. It supposedly takes three years to get them to where they're sustainable and produce really well. Uh, everything we've planted, we've always gotten some off of every year. Uh, third year has definitely been the peak for them, and then they kind of level off and stabilize. Um, the other thing you got to watch out for, too, is you know the moisture and humidity. Uh, they're prone to a couple of ailments and diseases, as any plant would be. Uh, you just got to keep your eyes on it and kind of do a little homework on it, but 
once you get them started, they don't stop. Yeah, there's that, but they they get a kind of mildew, right? If I remember right, they can. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there are some items out there that you can apply to those. Uh, we at our farm try not to use any pesticides or biological uh, chemicals on anything. Um, if we do do anything, it's a an organic compound, uh, diatomaceous earth uh, will help with that stuff too. Some of the sulfur, sulfur oils are pretty inert, uh, have no harmful effects and stuff as well. And it, and my understanding is each year after you harvest them, at least in the commercial, the big guys, they just cut the plant off right at the ground, right? Yes, about six inches to a foot off the ground, and they'll come right back next year, and they have a bigger footprint every year, uh, we've come to find out. Cool, cool. So, what else, gentlemen? What do you got? Uh, you finally got all your new brew house installed, right? At uh, you know, I think the last time we talked about a year ago, you had gotten it, but you really hadn't put it online. So everything's online now. You happy with all your new toys? Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's uh, so much easier to brew. No more, sho- no more shoveling out the mash tun for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but not. Yeah, it's a modernized for sure. Um, yeah. Enjoy, enjoying those rakes instead of having oh, to yeah. it's use awesome. the paddle on it. Yeah, I, I absolutely love them. Yep, it's been sweet. And now you've got your canning line on as well. I mean, yep, yep. We're kind of finally got that dialed in. That was a pretty good learning curve. But why don't you describe your canning system to people? Yeah, so it's uh, well, the brand it's uh, Wild Goose. It's a Gosling. It's the same uh, canning system that um, Girdwood Brewing has and it's a pretty small footprint and it's like set up where i can kind of wheel it around into a corner or something and then when we're, we're ready to use it i'll set it up and jack everything up and get it all set up but yeah pretty much it uh pretty pretty darn efficient um for i mean a small brewery like what we have it's like i don't know seven cans a minute which is it's plenty for us um but yeah so pretty much uh you just have manually loading the cans in just one after another and there's a purge that pushes all the oxygen out with co2 and then then it fills um and then um then the cap drops on top of the foam on the top and that moves to a seamer rate raises up and the can seams and then it kicks it out into a labeler and that's just a little conveyor belt where we'll have our labels a roll of labels and it'll just slap slap them on there so it's kind of a two-man job, one person on one end loading the cans, the other person on the other end collecting them as they're coming off and putting them in four-pack um, holders, and yeah. When you do a run, how many, you know, how much typically are you doing at a time? I'll do, it depends on the beer, but normally it's like a, a barrel maybe, which is 31 gallons. Um, there's 120 pints in a half barrel, so that's what, 240 cans, um, but yeah, it's all based on as the cooler is emptying, I'm just trying to keep up with it. Summertime, you know, of course, we're going through a heck of a lot more than the wintertime. But. And you're just canning your flagships, right? You're not doing no, any? No, we're doing, you're, we're doing you're, seasonals, you're, too. Seasonals, too? Okay. Yep. Yeah, we kind of have a generic label for that that we just slap a sticker um, um, a sticker on the can um, to, you know, designate what beer that is. But So... And what are your seasonals you have on right now? Oktoberfest, right? Still? Yep, we've got Oktoberfest. Um, still have uh, Hefeweizen. Um, let's see. I think I've got some cans left of the IPA IPA, which is the Industrial Pumps of Alaska IPA. 
Um, trying to think of what else here. Yeah, I think that's about it for the moment. But oh yeah, uh, Silver Slammer. That was uh, that's Kodiak Custom uh, beer that we collaborated on. Um, that's pretty pretty good one. Um, and I see your uh, your full winter menu is back. I saw that on yes. Facebook. So yep, we finally got staffed up enough that we felt comfortable that we could we could do it. It's been mm-hmm. been a tough run here trying to trying to find people. I think everybody's having the same problem. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Is uh, it's been hard for uh, for I, Doug Hogue was just bending my ear a couple of nights ago about how hard it is to get kitchen staff in. Yeah, yeah so. it's crazy. Frank, are you using any uh, help at the farm? Are you having any uh, personnel shortages, or you do everything yourself? Well, I do a majority of it myself, but however, this year I got pretty fortunate and found a couple of ladies that have been helping us out, and they've been spot on. Um, However, that's not always the case. Uh, Typically, I have to struggle to find help. Um, We have... <clears throat> had folks that say oh yeah i'll help i'll help i'll help and then they never show up and then we have people that um kind of well come in and don't want to do anything so i don't know where all the people are but i sure wish that more of them would be interested in working and getting out there and contributing yeah it does seem to be a uh, universal problem everybody everybody i talk to is telling me the same thing can't get good help anymore of course i've been hearing that for 30 years too so i don't I can remember my old man telling me that. Just can't get good help anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which is why he worked me like a rented mule. So, because he knew I couldn't quit. But anyway, so we're here on KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna, looking for your donations to support this radio station at 513-1996 or kdll.org. Remember, it's your contributions that let this station operate and let us have a program like this about our local beer. Uh, Let's face it, your big commercial station is not going to tell you about what's going on in your local beer scene like uh, we're enabled to do with this program on KDLL. So, speaking of the local beer scene... Have you been uh, down, have you checked out Naptown yet? Yeah, I have. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, they're doing a good job. Yeah, they got, uh, they're doing, you see, they got the, going to have a food truck there all winter, supposedly, gotcha. so that should be oh, cool. nice. So, they're out in your neck of the woods, Frank. Have you checked them out yet? I have, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm a fan. They, they do good work there. Yeah, I'm the when I've been by, I've been, thought their stuff is uh, pretty good, though I would not want to be trying to run that place on a half barrel system which is apparently what they're doing yeah that could be a little challenging i think yeah yeah so uh, i think uh jake spends we had him on last month and he seemed to be spending most of his time just meeting and greeting himself trying to brew fast enough to uh to keep uh keep beers on tap so um ho- here's hoping he manages to get his bigger system that he's been talking about so um what else? You going to make any festivals, Zach? You've kind of quit the festival scene, haven't you? Other than yeah. the local ones. Yeah, I, I kind of, we've kind of kind of stopped doing some of the far far out ones, but uh, yeah, just more more local I'm stuff. Not, I'm not sure Anchorage qualifies as far out, well, but okay, if you if that's the way you look yeah. at things, okay. Well, it yeah, <laughs> I guess the that's a pretty the Anchorage things like are pretty big festivals. I know you. It's like you when you're all said and done um, after hotels and um, you know donating 
basically a tank of beer, like seven or eight barrels of beer. It's like, wow, this is getting kind of spendy. No, just asking. Yeah. Just miss seeing you up there sometimes. Yeah, I know. So one of these days I'll make a barley wine again. I was to, gonna say, make another barley wine, go up there and take the uh take the trophy again. And it'll be like, Oh yeah, that's why we were happy that Saint Elias stopped yeah. coming because uh then somebody else could win the trophy. So but uh Billy got a uh a question in over on our sure. in studio text message line. Excellent. Um wanting to they mentioned hearing uh Frank talk about an IPA version of hops and the <laughs> question's kind of funny. It hits me a little <laughs> kind of where I live too a little bit. Love IPAs but wish there were more to choose from. Is there more growth in the IPA sector and is there anything low alcohol? And I, 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 for me personally, I, I love a good IPA, but I don't always want to drink like a six, seven, eight percent IPA. That's a yeah. So where's what's that trend like? Is everybody still just into IPAs? Is that where the the business is? I, yeah. I mean, it, I, I kind of, I feel that when I go to the, go to the beer store, and yeah, there's normally more IPAs than anything else. But um, there are some. There's like you know, like a session IPA or. Honestly, like, uh, gosh, like a good English bitter, you know, is a style that I think is pretty wonderful that's on the low end um, of the alcohol, but also has a real nice hop character, normally like, you know, English, like Goldings or Fuggles. Um, that's, I, I love them, but uh, sometimes what I love, other people don't, so I don't know. I gotta... Yeah, I would I would second that. I mean... Somebody who likes nice a nice hop flavor, not necessarily overwhelming hop bitterness, but nice hop flavors, your typical English bitter that's around 4% alcohol, I guess if you got it in a bottle, it would be an English pale ale, uh, that's stylistically, that style is really good for somebody who, you know, likes but wants to be able to drink more than one. Um you you have made a beer in the past called Jabberwocky, also known as Henry's Best Bitter, mm-hmm. that I think kind of fell into that into that category and was pretty popular with most folks. But I will say the whole, in my obviously prejudiced opinion, I think the <laughs> whole we've we've gone way over the top with IPAs. It's everything. Everybody has got to have fifteen different IPAs. O- and over the hop. With yeah, over the hop. Yeah, <laughs> over the top with the hop with some of these IPAs. Um, when you start talking about milkshake IPAs and New England hazy IPAs, and you know, it's like okay. It, to me, again, we've sort of jumped the shark. To use another expression, um, we've jumped over the the hop, the tank full of sharks and hops. Um, to have beers that are, you know, it's they, they become gimmicky as opposed to more of a kind of a classic uh, flavor profile. Well, and, maybe they just need more interesting names. I Did you say a style called Fuggle? Did I hear that right? That's a, that's a variety of hops called <laughs> Fuggles, English well, see, hops. See, that, it's all in the name, right? Yeah. Are you growing anything like that, Frank? Uh, we do have Fuggle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and they're on a T-shirt. I want that T-shirt. They're actually named after a guy. Who developed him, and his last name was Fuggle. So, uh, so. And I, I apologize for I've never. Thanks for letting me kind of run the board and, and help out today on the on special 
membership drive day. This is fascinating stuff. Um, is there, I get, I'm so curious about the hops end of this. Like what drives, is it purely the brewers that drive the demand and what style of hops you're, you're doing, or is it, you know, what you can grow. And so that's what you get. What drives that end of it? That's, I'm curious about that. Cause you know, getting back to the IPA thing, everybody wants a very bitter, very hoppy, that forward kind of a thing. But is that what drives it? Is it just meeting that demand or do you just uh, kind of experiment and see what you can sell? Well, <clears throat> the whole thing was an experiment. Um, like I said, I'm a fan of beer. So I had envisioned doing this kind of for myself. And then Zach came on board with St. Elias and they started helping us out um, with making the beer. And we've kind of found out that making just the plethora of all the different varieties of hops comes out with a, you get the bitterness, uh, maybe not as strong as an IPA, but the alcohol's up there. Like last year was seven, six, I believe. And the earthy flavor that comes with the mixing of the hops, I think is pretty dadgum good. And, uh, it's a different flavor than anything you're going to find in a store. And, as far as variety to variety, if we wanted to itemize it out and make one beer out of a certain variety of hops, we certainly have that capacity. Um, we're not quite to that point where we have enough of each type to do that, except for maybe um, if uh, Naptown had a smaller system that would accommodate that, might be a, th a thought or an idea. Yeah. And I think if you if you look at like in Yakima Valley and that area where the majority of American hops are grown. Um, it is it's the it is the demand for craft beers that's driving the different varieties the the big boys the budweisers and people like that they are looking for because let's face it they don't use a lot of hops they're looking for efficiency they want hops that have really high alpha acid that they can use as few hops as they need given which is amazing considering how little they use anyway um in their beers but it's for the different varieties that's being driven by the appetite for uh, among the craft beer drinkers who want to try and taste different things. They want, you know, so now we have, I mean, I can remember 30 years ago, nobody was even talking about hops that taste like juicy fruit gum and hops that are like uh, Cabernet Sauvignon wine. And this, but we now, we have a lot of these different um, varieties that have been developed just for that reason because there's this demand in the industry um, for the next new hop, right? So they can have a new – you bring a new variety in commercially, and at least initially you're going to be able to sell a lot of it because people are going to want to try it. They're going to want to make a beer with it. Whether the the demand sustains itself after that kind of depends, I think, on what people think of the hop. Do you want to yeah. comment on that? I mean, like some of the mm -hmm. varieties that came out, like Falconer and right. various other ones or blends of different hops. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is they're so different, too, from crop to crop. You know, it's like you could, um, you know, like you could use one year's uh, Galaxy hops, which, uh, you know, have a specific flavor profile. And then buy it, you know, a year or two later, expecting the same thing, and it's it's pretty different, you know. The the flavors, it's like, why does this not taste like it did before? Well, this stuff grows in nature, and there's all kinds of, you know, different uh, climate. And that brings up a good point, which another one that I've mentioned, which is why it's tougher to be a brewer than it is to be a vintner, because. 
brewers are expected to be able to produce a consistent product regardless of variations in their ingredients. They're not like the guys making wine who can say, well, it was just a bad year for grapes this year. That's why my wine tastes like crap and get away with it. Whereas a brewer, you can't say, well, it was a tough year for barley. That's No, people don't accept that, oh, your beer doesn't taste good because the barley wasn't good. No, you're supposed to be able to deal with that, Mr. Brewer, and figure out a way to compensate. So I've always held that it's a lot tougher to be a brewer than it is to be a winemaker. Because well, yeah, here's the opportunity to set it straight, especially from like from the grower, how difficult it is to carry, to make that uh, transition from year to year, right, Frank? Well, <clears throat> whether it's hops, tomatoes, peppers, whatever we grow, uh, from season to season, it, everything has different characteristics based on the weather, the environment, um, climate. And certain years, certain varieties do better than others. Um, that's out of our control. How you know? Um, what I can tell you is some of the things that you think won't do good on a certain year like this actually did really well. Um, hops this year did pretty dang good. And I believe that um, on hotter years, they maybe aren't as prolific um like in 2017 they didn't do as good as they did this year on the top out in the production of the actual cones um the hop itself is referred to as a cone which is the part that makes the beer and a lot of people think that they just throw the whole plant in on that and that's not how that works oh the other thing i was going to say is um like the these different varieties, it's amazing how different they are, too, based on the soil and the climate that they're grown in. So, like, you could buy, you know, say, like a, a Czech uh, Saz hop or uh, English Fuggle hop, or you could buy uh, an American Saz hop or an American Fuggle hop, and they're going to be very different just because they're grown in different soil. So, it's kind of what it makes what Frank's doing so unique is because this is to- totally an Alaskan thing, and you're not going to, you're not going to get a hop that or hops that have the flavor profile that his have yep anywhere else yep it is a it's a you see that with a lot of things i my obviously i do a lot of stuff work with onions and you know sweet onions are not made sweet by the variety of onions so much as by the kind of soil that they're grown in so you can take a vidalia onion out of vidalia and plant it somewhere else and the onion you get will not be a sweet onion because What's unique about Vidalia is there's no sulfur in the soil. So the, on, the onion can't make the sulfur compounds that make you cry. So similar sort of thing, I'm sure, like you say, when you, there's a lot, you can take a Saz hop, but if you don't grow it in Bohemia, it's not going to taste like a Czech Saz hop. It's going to taste, it's going to taste different. Right, what do they call it? Ter, terroir or terroir? Terroir, yeah, that's what the wine guys always are always talking about. So, and Lord knows I've made a lot of beers using Willamette's which are just fuggles that are grown in the Pacific Northwest instead of England. So, um, but yeah, it's a, a, to me, like I said, to me, it's a tip of the hat to brewers who, again, they have to deal with these variations in their ingredients, but they don't, they're not allowed to use that as an excuse. They're not allowed to say, well, the beer just isn't very good this year because we had a bad hop harvest or whatever. They may have to say the beer is going to be more expensive this year, because we had a bad hop harvest, so I had to pay more for my hops. But they're not allowed to excuse a uh, uh, poor tasting beer on the grounds that well, we just—it was just a bad year, you know. The the grapes just didn't ripen right this year, like the way that uh, winemakers can. So, but 
Again, I'll remind everybody that we're looking for donations here at KDLL. That's why we're on the radio live right now. This is our membership drive weekend. You can call 513-1996 or get us at kdll.org. It's your contributions that keep us guys jacking our jaw on the radio here and talking about beer. So uh, let's see what else is of interest lately in the beer world. What's your plans for the 1st of January, Zach, when the new regs come into effect? How's it going to impact your operations? Um, well, I don't know. I think it kind of simplifies a lot of the laws. It, makes it, it's, it seems to be a little bit more understandable, um, like reading some of the new, new regs compared. It was just very chaotic before it was like there's all these things thrown in and on top of other laws and and um but i think as a whole maybe uh i I guess it gives us the ability to distribute if we want to i'm not really set up size wise to you know distribute a ton but i thought maybe in the winter time when it's slower i could be probably canning a bunch of beer and sending it up to anchorage or somewhere outside of soldatna what about uh, if you uh, if you're able to? I guess you're going to get a restaurant eating place license. Is that am I understanding that correctly? So you'll have a manufacturing license, and then you'll have a restaurant eating place license on the top of that. Yeah, isn't that going to give you the ability, if you wish to, to serve other people's beers? I mean, oh, you have yeah. that capability now, right? Because right, remember, right. So yeah, that, it it. I don't know if I'll do that. I don't know. It kind of seems weird, but. I don't know. Well, you can always have a Plus guest. You can have a guest that's, be around. That's true. A guest tap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sorry to interject. This, yeah. It reminded me of some, uh, the brewery in my hometown that just started. And I'm from Iowa. And they're very, they don't, there's not a very strong beer culture there. It's pretty, you know, pretty milk toast, pretty vanilla. A lot of bush light gets drunk mm-hmm. there. And the brewery, just to get customers in the door, has cans of bush light just here's something familiar here's your warm blanket now that we've got you in here let's try something a little different so yeah i don't, I don't imagine that's a problem for you guys people come in and know what they want and want I to enjoy so. it yeah. well, if, you're, if you're smart you got a training wheels beer on for people yeah, who aren't yeah, so that, sure yeah. which which was for years for him was even keel kolsch until he he finally shifted over to the czech pilsner Thanks be to all the beer gods. So still, for my money, the best uh, best Pilsner in the state. But uh, uh, it also has the advantage of being incredibly fresh since you can drink it right here at the source, which to me is critical for uh, a good Pilsner. So um, thank you again. If I haven't thanked you enough, Zach, for, for putting that Pilsner on instead of that Kolsch. Sure. So no, I, I love to make it, and I love that beer. I do. There are still a lot of people that come in squealing about the even keel, like <laughs> wanting it back. I'm like, oh, come on, just try the, try the Pilsner. Well, you could always, like uh, Shailen said, you could always brew a batch and can it. That's true. And have it available for them. It's like, well, we don't have it on draft, but here's a can. You yeah, know, buy it by the true. can. So, <laughs> but, well, that's good. I, I'm glad that uh, you know you've got some possibilities with these new laws i'm very hopeful that uh, that we had uh, lee ellis on last month and uh, he was talking about the uh, the standards of trade that they're going to be enacting as well which alaska has never had before um, so that should be 
that should be uh, interesting now that uh, distributors and stuff are going to have to play by the rules instead of uh, being uh, fast and loose, wild west sort of a thing. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with the term, standard of trade means the rules that people who are distributing beer have to play by. In other words, they can't offer to give you a brand new draft system or a brand new refrigerator if you'll only stock their beer. Um, that's actually a violation of the law. And the problem is Alaska's never enforced it in the past, and they are going to start enforcing that as part of these the new regs that are coming online. So that'll be good. That'll be a more of an even playing field for the, the small guys as opposed to the big guys. So um, what else can we talk about, gentlemen? Well, we got a we we did, uh, got a Facebook message with another question. Sure, that I fire. think is for uh, and somewhat uh, coincidentally or ironically, I'm not sure which. From Zach with a K, uh, I was traveling in Massachusetts, uh, stopped at a couple breweries that used spontaneous fermentation. Says the beer was good, but I don't get the process. How do you know what you'll get with wild yeast? Seems like it could be unsanitary. I've never heard of spontaneous fermentation. You want to take that one there, Mr. Henry? Graduate uh, of the Master Brewers sure. Academy? Yeah. Um, well, spontaneous uh, fermentation is, it definitely can be, um, it's its not terribly predictable every time. Um, a lot of times uh, people will have a barrel or something that they'll have put a culture of, you know, Britannomyces or um lactobacillus or you know some uh different different um bugs in and then they'll continually just fill that that barrel and you know get get a different i guess uh flavor profile i guess depending on the you know the population of whatever's in that barrel if there's more you know, it's a, it's a balance. It's almost like sourdough bread or something. You yeah, know? that's what it sounds like. Yeah, and it, I mean, it can be really good. I mean, I've I, I don't necessarily think it would be unsanitary. Um, I mean, is yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can actually get any harmful pathogens in beer. The worst you get is something that doesn't taste good. Right. You know, there's nothing in it that will make you sick. Just uh, because of the combination of the alcohol and the, everything, it, nobody's ever brewed a batch of beer that like poisoned anybody or anything like that. But as a, as a technique, obviously spontaneous fermentation is cool it, ship. it's well with cool ships and stuff. Which a cool ship is an open top vessel right, that right. you let the beer or the wort rest in and the the yeast from the surrounding air drift in. Um, until Louis Pasteur and then later Carlsberg, nobody had pure cultures of yeast to pitch. Once they identified that, yeah, it's yeast that's doing the magic and making the beer, and they isolated pure cultures, most brewers started doing that because it gave them so much more control. As Zach says, it's a little bit of a crapshoot when you start doing spontaneous fermentation, exactly what you're going to get. Um, there are a few breweries, primarily in Belgium, that stuck with the old method of just sort of letting whatever happens happen, and they've developed different ways where they kind of minimize the the risk of getting a bad a bad batch. But uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, and it, as I said, it's you know it's a little bit of roll of the dice. You might get something really really good, you might get something not so good. 
the problem is if you got something really, really good, the odds of you being able to reproduce it are kind of slim and none because there's so many different variables that aren't under your control when you start doing the spontaneous fermentation. So you've never done spontaneous, have you? I haven't. <clears throat> no, I think Gabe's doing some. Actually, I was just yeah. talking to him up at um, Anchorage Brewing Company and uh, called him a couple days ago, asked him a, a question. He said he was filling his cool ship, which is just basically a big open open container. I think he has a special room up on top of the brewery and this big stainless steel uh, shallow pan i guess you fill it with the beer it's not open the stainless window. is it not stainless? is it wood it's wood okay it's gotcha. beautiful oh, that's cool yeah and the room has like louvers that yeah, we can awesome. open to let the outside air in and everything as usual i'm gabe dropped a big chunk of change on that sort of stuff that that brewery up there folks if you've never visited anchorage brewing company you should go and see it it's like a cathedral to beer so between the giant wood vessels and everything else that that he's got in there, that's uh, that is it's a beautiful brewery. And uh, but yeah, I'd be interested to see what his cool ship. I saw it, but right after he had built it, so I saw it in January, I guess, and it hasn't been at that point. It hadn't been used yet, but I guess he's finally got it in service. Mm-hmm. So well, it's kind of like what they do, like you were saying in Belgium. I we went on a trip over there and saw the cool ships on top they would always have them at the the tops of the buildings and fill you know these big old copper uh containers and then open the windows but it was like only during a couple couple months out of the year that they would do it when the flora was just right in the air right pretty interesting that's why they don't clean the uh, spider webs out of the breweries because the spiders (laughs) catch the flies and the flies could get into the the Mm. wart and and cause uh stuff that you don't want to grow in the wart so they don't like never kill a spider let the spiders mm-hmm. keep the flies away it's kind of a weird way to brew let's face it you're not going to do anything on an industrial scale when you're brewing this way but it does produce some rather you know unique in some ways back to my original analysis it's more like making wine because there's a lot more variability from year to year when you're doing it with a spontaneous fermentation than it is when, okay, we're going to pitch a pure culture and I'm going to decide exactly what yeast I'm going to use and know a lot about it. So, so kind of reminds us of that uh, experiment we did when we made that aged pale ale. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly spontaneous, but we, we brewed up the beer and then put it in a cask and, and uh, dosed it with a ton of brat. So, and let, let that work on it and uh, produce a heck of a beer, even if you and I were like the only people in the world drinking it. So, that's usually the problem when Zach and I do one of our experiments is we love it and nobody else will buy it. So, I always feel for the, he pays for the ingredients and then he takes it in the shorts when it comes time to try to sell yeah. the beer. Well, it all sells in the end, right? I mean, <laughs> might take a little longer, but that's okay. All righty. Well, we're getting close to the end of our hour, but hey, if you're listening out there and you haven't donated yet, please give us a call at 513-1996 or go to kdll.org and make your donation. Uh, Again, it's your dollars that keep this radio station operating and uh, keep shows like this on the air. So again, if you like listening to us talking about beer every month, then uh, please uh, throw a few bucks our way. So... So, Franca, have you got any plans to 
you, you know, you're talking about expanding the hops. Have you got any plans and, and the barley, obviously. So anything else new and interesting that you're going to bring on for growth? Well, we're hoping to <clears throat> experiment with some outside areas up against southern exposure, against the building, see if we can expand another dozen, maybe 18 plants um, on some naturally occurring poles that are happening there, uh, see if they'll vine on that. And the residual heat coming off the buildings maybe will bump that production up to somewhere comparable to what's inside the high tunnels. Um, other than that, uh, we're constructing our kind of storefront building up there that we're hoping to get out and expand some more produce sales into and perhaps move into a food venue at one point. Other than that, um, it's kind of downtime right now. We're just kind of wrapping it up for the winter. We're going to take a month or so off and start planting again here in January. So for, for our listeners, where exactly is your farm located in Sterling? We are on Feuding Lane at milepost 78 on the Sterling Highway, and we're three-quarters of a mile down on the right-hand side. Cool, cool. So... And you, Zach, you got anything uh, new uh, and exciting coming down the pike? Any new releases that you're going to poop out here in the next month or so? Um, yeah, we actually, I did another beer with, uh, with Tony Davis and, uh, with uh, Kodiak Custom. And uh, we did a, it's like a craft uh, rice ale. So I used like 50% uh, rice in it okay. and hopped it with Mandarina Bavaria. And anyway, it's 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 pretty pretty interesting. It's kind tell, of fun. Tell folks about Mandarina Bavaria hops. Well, it's just a hop that is grown in Germany. That uh, it's supposed to have uh, kind of a like a mandarin orange flavor. Um, and yeah, I mean it's a it's a lower alpha or mi- mid alpha hop, I guess. So it's not like super bitter and it's not super weak, but um, it has pretty good flavor profile. Yeah, so it's one of those hops like we talked about that thirty years ago. Nobody was brewing with hops that taste like mandarins right. or, uh, or juicy fruit or any mm-hmm. of those others. So it's another one of these new varieties that people have come up with yep. to have something a little different. So it's going to be a, a rice ale. Lager. Yeah, it's an ale. It's an yep. ale with uh, hopped with uh, mandarin of Bavaria. Mm-hmm. So sounds interesting. Yeah. So not sure it'll... Not sure it's my cup of tea, but well, I'll I'll taste it. I taste give it a try. See. So my grandma always told me taste it, try everything twice. She might have had a headache the first time. <laughs> so, but uh, well, I think we're getting pretty close to the top of our hour. Uh, I want to thank uh, my guests Frank Donnan of Timberline Farms and Zach Henry from. Uh, St. Elias Brewing, I sure appreciate you guys taking the time to come on the air with us here. Um, uh, again, the reason we're all live talking to you is because we need uh, members. That's what keeps this station in business. Uh, you can call at 513-1996 or go online to kdll.org. Uh, and if you if you can see your way clear to it, uh, becoming a sustaining member where you donate every month, that's what I am. That helps the uh, station to know that uh, they're going to get a certain amount of income every month, makes their uh, fiscal planning that much easier. Um, but uh, however you can do it and any way you can do it, uh, we're grateful for your support here at KDLL, and uh, you are what keep us on the air. So final thoughts as we wrap up. So... Um, 
I'm looking forward to the holiday season with holiday beers. Have you got anything planned for the holidays? Anything special? You're you're, doesn't sound like you've got a barley wine in the tank, the way you no, were talking. Today. I don't have a barley do wine, but I do have a Baltic Porter that I'll release probably around, I don't know, maybe Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been aging for almost a year now. So Okay, that sounds good. Yep. Good. So Baltic Porter, have you brewed one of those before? I have. It was quite a while ago. It's been okay. a while since I've made any really big beers, but I just okay. I had a window, and I'm like, I'm, I'm doing it, and put okay. it in the tank, so and forget gonna, about it. It's going to be your winter warmer with the... The Baltic Porter. How much? Yep. Uh, what's the ABV on it? You think? Um, I think it's around like nine and a half. Okay, yeah, it's a big dog. That's a yeah. That, that one's pretty big. Mm-hmm. So, Frank, you got anything coming up? Well, we'll have the Timberline Ale coming out here soon. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, that'll, that'll probably be happening here in the next month or so. Well, everybody out there, keep an eye out for that, so you can uh, go and uh, taste the results of the combined efforts from Frank and Zach. Frank on growing the hops and uh, Zach on turning them into uh, into brew. So, uh, what uh, what yeast did you use for that one? Well, we we haven't made it yet. What yeast are you going to use for oh, that one? We don't we don't even know yet. We oh, okay. we're still in the planning stages, so we're we're gonna see here exactly how many pounds that we have. Um, still have yet to weigh them dry, but we'll kind of go start there, and then we'll yeah we'll move. Sh- Shooting for like an American IPA stylistically, or any any anything in particular. I don't know. I mean, I I think ideally something that would really showcase the hops. You know, where right. the hops really come through. Um, a lot. I guess the our previous batches have been a little more on the subtle side. Be nice to have have a little more hop punch, so you can really get that uh, flavor. But I guess we'll have to talk about it, Frank and I. Very good. All right. Well, we, we are at the top of the hour, and I want to thank Bill Howell uh, for hosting the uh, Beer on the Last Frontier, Zach Henry, and Frank Donham. Thanks so much, guys, for coming in and sharing your, your wealth of knowledge and, and educating our audience a little bit. We really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you, and uh, uh, cheers to the winter. Yep. Thank you, guys. So coming up, Thanks. Yep. Th- coming up next on KDLL, we have a very special live edition of our weekly gardening show. Larry Opperman will be in in just a few moments. We're going to take a couple of minutes here, play a little musical chairs in the studio as we are wont to do on these special live uh, membership drive editions of our special Saturday programmings here on KDLL. Again, the number is 513-1996, 513-1996. Give us a call now. We've got folks standing by ready to take that call. Or you can head over to the website anytime, kdll.org. We've got just a few minutes here until the top of the hour. Like I said, we're going to play a little musical chairs. We'll uh, leave you with some uh, old KDLL standby some Dave Brubreck as we uh, get things rearranged. And stay tuned for Larry and get all of your gardening questions answered coming up here in just a few moments. Stay with us.